0: Bhagavate vasudevaya. Om Bhagavate Nam. Vāsudevāyā, Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāyā, Om, Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāyā, jana jana jaina tasmai I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya manovistam Stapitam jena butale swayam rupakadamayam tadattit swapadantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone— and they are full of compassion for the fallen, conditioned souls. Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadhadhar, Sri Vasadhi I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadhadhar, Sri Pandit Sri and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Sri Radha Kalachanji, Srila Prabhupada, Srila Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. I am J. Sri Radha Devi Dasi, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto One Creation, Chapter 9, The Passing Away of Bhishmadev in the Presence of Lord Krishna, text 42. Tam imam aham ajam sarira bhajam Hrithi hrithi drishtitam atma kalpitanam Prati Drisham Ivanai Kadharakkam Ekam Samadhi Gatosmi Viduta Bhedamaha Damama Maham Ajam Sharirabhajam Vidhi, ridhi, dishtatam, atma kalpitanam. Pratidrisham, eva naikadharkam ekam. Samadhi gato sme viduta bedamoha. Tam, that personality of Godhead. Imam, now present before me. Uh Aham, I. Ajam, the unborn. Sarira Bhajam, of the conditioned soul. Vidhi, in the heart. Vidhi, in the heart. Dishthitam, situated. Atma, the super soul. Kalpitanam, of the speculators. Pratidrisham, in every direction. Eva, like. Na, ekada, not one. Arkam, the sun. Ekam, one only. Samadhi asmi. I have undergone trance in meditation. Veduta, v- being freed from. Moha misconception of duality. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivaranta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Now I can meditate with full concentration upon that one Lord, Sri Krishna, now present before me, because now I have transcended the misconceptions of duality in regard to His presence in everyone's heart, even in the hearts of the mental speculators. He is in everyone's heart. The sun may be perceived differently, but the sun is one. PURPORT Lord Krishna is the one absolute supreme personality of Godhead, but he has expanded himself into his plena- multi portions by his inconceivable energy. The conception of duality is due to ignore- ignorance of his inconceivable energy. In the Bhagavad Gita 9.11, the Lord says that only the foolish take him to be a mere human being. Such foolish men are not aware of his inconceivable energies. By his inconceivable energy, he is present in everyone's heart, as the sun is present before everyone all over the world. The paramatma feature of the Lord is an expansion of his plenary portions. He expands himself as parmatma in everyone's heart by his inconceivable energy and and he also expands himself as the glowing effulgence of Brahma Jyoti by expansion of his personal glow. It is stated in, in the Brahma Samhita that the Brahma Jyoti is his personal glow. Therefore, there is no difference between him and his personal glow, Brahma Jyoti, or his plenary portions as Bra- Paramatma. Less intelligent persons who are not aware of this fact consider Brahmajyoti and Paramatma to be different from Sri Krishna. This misconception of duality is completely removed from the mind of Bhishmadev, and he is now satisfied that it is Lord Shri Krishna only who is all in all in everything. This enlightenment is attained by the great Mahatmas or devotees, as is stated in Bhagavad Gita 719, that Vasudev is is all in all in everything and that there is no existence of anything without Vasudev. Vasudev, or Lord Shri Krishna, is the original Supreme Person, as now confirmed by Mahajana, and therefore both the neophytes and the pure devotees must try to follow in his footsteps. That is the way of the devotional line. The worshipable object of Bhishma Dev is Lord Sri Krishna as Partha and that of the gopis is the same Krishna in Vrindavan as the most attractive Shamasundar. Sometimes less intelligent scholars make a mistake and think that the Krishna of Vrindavan and that of the Battle of Kurukshetra are different personalities. But for Bhishmadev, this misconception is completely removed. Even the impersonalist object of destination is Krishna as the impersonal Jyoti. And the yogi's destination of Paramatma is also Krishna. Krishna is both Brahma Jyoti and localized Paramatma. But in Brahma Jyoti or Paramatma, there is no Krishna or sweet relations with Krishna. In his personal feature, Krishna is both Bharata Sarati and Shama Vrindavan. But in his impersonal feature, he is neither in the Jyoti nor in the Paramatma. Great Mahatmas like Bhishma Dev realize all these different features of Lord Sri Krishna. And therefore, they worship Lord Krishna, knowing him as the origin of all features. So we're continuing with the story of Bhishma Dev leaving his body and offering prayers to Krishna as he is doing so. Which is, we talked about previously, the goal of what we want to achieve is at the time of death to think of Krishna and to offer wonderful prayers to Krishna. And Bhishma Dev is able to do that because he was offered the boon of being able to leave his body whenever he chose at his at his decision. And after the battle of Kurukshetra, he was badly injured, mortally injured, so he was holding on um, to his body so that he could leave his body in in the presence of Krishna. And it's a very... He's very blessed, right? Like, who among us will have that kind of blessing that we get to choose when we get to leave our body and have Krishna in front of us personally Present in front of us. So there are some concepts that are discussed here in the in the verse and in the purport. The misconceptions of duality. Um, Krishna is present in everyone's heart as the Paramatma, and meditating on Krishna at the time of death. So I'll delve a little bit deeper on each concept. So when we think of duality. Duality is, you know, opposites, basically. In a lecture, Srila Prabhupada says, duality means you cannot understand one thing without understanding the other. Just like light, you have no conception of light without the conception of darkness. This is called duality. Good, unless you have experienced bad, you cannot understand good. Father, unless there is a son, there is no meaning of father. Husband, unless there is wife, there is no meaning of husband. This is called duality. This world is duality. So we have to rise above this dual world and enter into the absolute world. Then there will be happiness. This is from a lecture on December 13, 1968 in Los Angeles. So we can understand that duality is this concept of good and bad, happiness, distress, hot, cold, all of these things that we experience that are opposites. And the point here is we want to transcend them. And everyone in the material world experiences duality. In Bhagavad Gita 7.27, Krishna says, All living entities are born into delusion, bewildered by dualities arisen from desire and hate. And he also says in 422, one who is satisfied with gain which comes of its own accord, which is free from duality and does not envy, is steady in both success and failure, is never entangled, although performing actions. So this idea of transcending duality is pervasive throughout the Bhagavad Gita. It's one of the big concepts and leads to our being, of being equanim, of Practicing equanimity. So that means that whether there's happiness or distress, whether it's hot or cold, we remain steady, steadfast. It doesn't affect us because we realize that we're not this body and the body is experiencing these things, you know, pain, pleasure, um, success, failure. But the soul itself isn't experiencing these things. And so when we are self-realized or on the path of self-realization when the goals is to be equal to all things, all situations. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 2.15, the person who is not disturbed by happiness and distress is steady in both is certainly eligible for liberation. And he goes on to tell Arjuna, you know, to fight for the sake of fighting not for the result of of success or you know victory or gain or loss so the concept of duality again is you know we experience all the time we have to experience good to understand we have to experience bad to understand what is good to experience distress to understand what is happiness it's there the well, our goal is is to not be disturbed by it I always find it's an interesting concept when we talk about not being disturbed by happiness. Because that's something that we want to achieve, right? So it's it's interesting to think of being disturbed by happiness. And in the concept of duality, the disturbance of happiness is the temporary nature of happiness in the material world. So... This mic keeps falling. Um. So... In the material world, we have this concept of happiness, distress. And happiness can cause us to be disturbed because of the temporary nature. And we know, you know, this even when we have happiness, this too shall pass. So there's times of happiness and there's times of sadness, distress. Our goal is to be undisturbed by both, by either In Bhagavad Gita 257, Krishna says, In the material world, one who is unaffected by whatever good or evil they may attain, neither praising it nor despising it, is firmly fixed in perfect knowledge. So, once again, this reiterates that our goal is to be steady, despite if we are having happiness or distress, success or victory, or defeat, loss or gain, any of these things, we remain steadfast. And Krishna says we do our duty despite that. So it's one of the big concepts, as I said. We want to be unaffected by that, and that goes the same for you know how we treat people, friends, foe, um, family, strangers. Everyone is worth you know deserving of compassion, of deserving of love. So we don't make that distinction of just having love and compassion for those that we know or those that are our friends and family. It's for even those that are our foes because there are no enemies. There are no foes. In another lecture, Srila Prabhupada says, duality means God is different from me. He is supreme. I am subordinate. He is great. I am small. He is infinite. I am infinitesimal. This is the relationship So, because we are infinitesimal, we should concentrate our mind to the infinite supreme self. So, Prabhupada here is contrasting his previous definition of duality, you know, that having the opposites, you have to experience, you can't experience one without the other, with saying that there is a spiritual duality, that we are different from God. We are same in quality, but different in quantity. God is Infinite, we're infinitesimal. Um, he's supreme, I'm subordinate, he says. God is great, I am small. So we have this relationship with God, with Krishna, that he's supreme, but this is a relationship. That means there's two people that are relating with each other. Not that one is, doesn't have a person or a personal form, or is just the Brahma Jyoti as explained in the purport the effulgence. So there is a supreme personality that we have a relationship with. And then in the purport, it goes on to say that Krishna is present in everyone's heart as the Parmatma In Srimad Bhagavatam 1 to 11, which we probably read last year at some point, learn transcendentalists who know the absolute truth call this non-dual substance Brahman, Parmatma and Bhagavan. So, Krishna is present in everyone's heart as the, as Parmatma. And I talked about briefly before that we want to see everyone as friends because Krishna is present in everyone's heart. So, if we can tap into that Krishna is present in everyone's heart, whether they are devotees coming to the temple, whether they're our families, whether they're, um, attacking us or, um, you know, mean to us, we can still see that Krishna is within their hearts. And Krishna loves them just as much as he loves us. God loves everyone, right? He says he's equal to all. Um, But those that are serving him or turning to him gets a little bit more of his attention because we're asking for that attention. In Bhagavad Gita 8.3, Krishna explains the indestructible transcendental living entity is called Brahman. And their eternal nature is called adhyatma, the self. Action pertaining to the development of the material bodies of the living entity is called karma, or fruitive activities. In 8.4 he says the physical nature, which is constantly changing, is called adibuta, the material manifestation. The universal form of the Lord, which includes all the demigods, like those of the sun and moon, is called adideva. And I, the Supreme Lord, represented as a super-soul in the heart of every embodied being, am called Adiyagna, the Lord of Sacrifice. So Krishna explains throughout the Gita that he is present in everyone's heart as the super-soul, as Paramatma. And we that's another big concept that we want to understand, right? The big concepts of Krishna consciousness, of the basics of the Bhagavad Gita, are we're not this body that we're spirit-soul. And as a result, we want to be steadfast and undisturbed by all the happenings around us, by the whims of material nature. We also understand that Krishna is within us as the super-soul, and he's guiding us. He says that... In 1515, he says, I am seated in everyone's heart and from me come remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. By all the Vedas, I am to be known. Indeed, I am the compiler of Vedanta and I am the knower of the Vedas. So Krishna is saying here that he's within our heart and he, he's actually determining whether or not, you know, we have devotional service nature in our heart based on what we want, based on our desires, because he can see all of that. So if we have this desire of what is Krishna, who is Krishna, Uh, what is my relationship to God, what is my relationship to Krishna, then the super soul within our heart, within our, you know, that's our own personal super soul starts to guide us towards finding the answers to these questions, guides us towards a spiritual master. And so that's where we get that little bit of extra attention. I've also heard that sometimes when we have intuition, You know, we might feel like, oh, something's going to happen. Something good might happen. Something bad might happen. That's also the super soul talking to us. And so if we learn to listen to that intuition, it's like a muscle, right? When we use a muscle, the stronger it gets. The more we learn to listen to what is actually our intuition and not what we want to do and how we think things should be, then that stronger that voice of the intuition becomes and that stronger voice of Krishna within our hearts guiding us. He always guides us towards him because that's what his goal is, is to have us come back to him and to strengthen our relationship to him. And part of that is being able to relate to other people. If we start to see that Krishna is in everyone's heart, there is no question of who's an enemy, who's who's not an enemy. Now we can make some distinctions as to this person because you know we're all covered um, by our material bodies and we have experiences and relate to each other according to our experiences and um, the perceptions that we have in our material bodies. So we may not get along with someone so well, right? They may disturb our minds in some way. They may cause us to think or their behavior causes us to respond in a certain way. And then we may make offenses either in our thoughts and our words. So if we learn to see that Krishna is in everyone, we can still give everyone love and compassion from a distance. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have everyone in our lives because some may not be as... Um, productive for us in our goal, in our desire to achieve our Krishna consciousness. So we also have to be able to make that distinction that even though Krishna is in everyone's heart, the material coverings can cause some friction for our, our relationships. And that can be hard sometimes, especially if some of those frictions are family members. Right? We don't always get along. We don't get to choose our family members. Um, and we don't always get along with our family members. But then we're also bound by being family. So we can learn to, to have compassion and love for people that we don't necessarily get along with by realizing that Krishna is in the, in the heart. In Bhagavad Gita 13.29, Krishna says, One who sees the super soul equally present everywhere in every living being is not degrade themselves by their mind. Thus they approach the transcendental destination. So how can we realize that the super soul is within our heart and within everyone else's heart as well? In Megagita 1325, Krishna says, some perceive the super soul within themselves through meditation, others through the cultivation of knowledge, and still others through working without fruit of desires. And really our goal is one or a combination of all of these, right? So we can do it through meditation with japa, with kirtan, with sitting in front of the deities and praying, praying at our own time. We talk, I talked a little bit about intuition. Prayer is a great way to hear our intuition if we have stillness and we pray. And we pray in this mood of gratitude, not in this mood of begging or asking Right. Krishna, please give me this. Please give me that. You know, we start bargaining with Krishna. Oh, Krishna, if you give me this, you know, nice house, then I can serve you better. That's not how we pray. We pray with this attitude of Krishna. Thank you so much for everything you've given me. Thank you for, you know, guiding me on this path to you. You, We can pray for certain things like, Krishna, please, Give me the strength to overcome my material attachments and come to you. We can even pray that kind of prayer in the mood of gratitude because we can pray instead as, Krishna, thank you for giving me the strength to overcome my material desires and come to you. So you see there's a subtle difference there, right? One is asking for something and the other is assuming it's already been given to you and being grateful for it. So when we pray to Krishna, if we pray like that, it's a much stronger prayer in our own mind, because our mind doesn't really know, like, we can trick our minds, what's reality, what's not reality, right? We say, thank you, Krishna, for the strength, you know, to overcome material attachments. Thank you, Krishna, for the desire to have a strong relationship with you. Thank you, Krishna, for our strong relationship. The mind thinks that these things are already happening, So, it strives to make these things a reality. And so, it's it's a stronger prayer than saying, Krishna, please give me the strength. Because then the mind's like, oh, we don't already have it. So, you know, do we want it? The, The mind doesn't quite know what to do with that kind of prayer. So, a prayer in gratitude is always stronger. If we are confused about something, a dilemma, you know, Krishna, thank you for giving me the answer to this question. And then we sit in stillness and listen. Krishna will answer those prayers, whether it's as our intuition or in other ways. I often give this example that whatever, whenever I'm experiencing some type of dilemma, you know, and I'm listening to a lecture by my, my Guru, Srila Gurudev Tamal Krishna Goswami, somehow, it doesn't matter that this lecture was given 20, 25 years ago. Somehow, at that exact moment, he's giving the answer of the questions that I have in my heart. And I always think that that's somehow, you know, the, the strength and mercy of my guru as well as of Krishna, of providing answers in so many different ways. And then if I don't hear it from... You know, I'm like, oh, that's a good answer, but I don't know if that's the one I need to have. And Krishna, like, all of a sudden I hear it in so many different ways. It comes over and over again until I'm like, okay, that is the answer. He's confirmed it three times now or four times now. And that's how our interactions are with the super soul. Now, Prabhupada says in the purport that the super soul is still not quite as personal as Krishna. So as devotees of Krishna, we can learn to see that the super soul as Paramatma is actually Krishna. And we can start to think of Paramatma in our heart as Krishna, as the personal supreme personality of Godhead that we have a personal relationship with. And there then we can meditate, you know. Here in the example, Vishma Dev meditates on Krishna with full concentration. And that's our goal, right? To chant without offenses, to chant attentively to as we're chanting our japa, which is our meditation. It's mantra meditation. We are meditating on the mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So we want to meditate on this with full concentration. And it's not easy because our mind wanders and it wanders everywhere in Chapter six of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is giving instructions to Arjuna on how to control that, the wandering mind. And it's not easy. He says, you know, we have to do it with determination and faith, and we have to do it gradually, step by step. He doesn't say sit down and all of a sudden your mind will be empty and you can just fully concentrate on the holy name, on the Maha Mantra. He says gradually, step by step. So we want to take that As that because it makes it easier for our mind to comprehend okay we're doing it gradually it's not all at once you know anytime we want to make any changes in our habits it's best to do it gradually and pick what is the most important habit that we want to change how do we want to change it what will we gain from it and what will we actually be able to do so one of the habits that I'm really working hard on changing is getting to bed earlier so I was like, okay, I'm going to um, get ready for bed at 9 o'clock and be in bed by 10 o'clock. And for someone who's going to bed at like 2 or 3 in the morning, that was a little bit ambitious for me. And it would just not happen, and it felt overwhelming. So then I said, okay, I'm going to go to bed before midnight. That just felt a little bit more doable. It's still not my goal. It's still not the goal as far as getting a good night's sleep. But it's better than two o'clock in the morning and it's better than me trying to get to bed by ten, but it just not happening because it was too much at once. So then it's, you know, you go to bed before midnight for some time. And as soon as I got into the habit of that, now I'm working at like eleven o'clock. Okay. In bed, lights off by eleven. So, you know, that those are some ways we can make changes. Well, it's the same thing with JAPA. Our mantra meditation practices. Ideally, we want to chant our 16 rounds in full concentration and one sitting, fully just enveloped with the holy name, you know, thinking of Krishna, serving Krishna, just this loving relationship with Krishna. But that's hard to do immediately. And it takes practice and it takes time. You know, I've talked about before that when I was working, I would make bargains with myself. Okay, we're gonna do, you know, four rounds before work and then, you know, and make them like really as concentrated and undistracted as possible. But when, even when I started that, I had to start off with like one round. You know, chanting one round like that and then the other rounds, like it just became a little bit easier sometimes that one round became two rounds, even though my goal was only one round. Um, and it would sometimes be, you know, four to six rounds, but only one or two of them would be working on being with full attention. And the others would be like, okay, let's work on getting the quantity, and then we can focus on quality later. So it's a slow, gradual process. Um, and some people have that strength and ability to jump right in and, you know, like go cold turkey, so to speak, right? Cold turkey in the sense of like giving up something but also diving into something. Um, but most of us don't have that or we have it for some things but not for other things. Um, you know, we hear all the time people quitting an addiction, just cold. And sometimes that can be More helpful than slow, like if you have an addiction to smoking, quitting smoking, you know, right away, cold turkey can actually be more beneficial and successful than if you were to like gradually say, okay, I'm going to smoke less cigarettes until I get down to zero because there's always that additional hit of nicotine that's causing more of an addiction. So both ways are fine, but there are some benefits to going cold turkey, and some people can do that, and they never pick up a cigarette again for the rest of their lives. Some people do that, and they quit for a few years, and then they pick it up again. You know, it's an addiction, so, you know, it's it's like that with everything. But the opposite of the addiction is, is creating good habits, right? So we want to have habit. We want to be addicted to good habits that are going to serve us, and to create those addictions are a little bit harder, so we have to, like, slowly... Slowly make those steps into it. And then the final meditation that we want to do is whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we offer or give away, whatever austerities we perform, do it as an offering to Krishna, he says in Bhagavad Gita 9.27. So this goes back to what we are talking about you know, doing our duties, and not really worried about the results, the success or failure. Because it's whatever we do, we're offering it to Krishna, and he's the recipient of whether it's successful or it's a failure, and he's a determinant of that. And he makes those kind of decisions based on our mood, our mindset, what we'll gain from success or failure, and whichever will bring us to him is what he'll give us. Right? So if we're um working on something and it becomes a big success and we think, oh, look how successful I am and I did this and, you know, we start to get a little arrogant and uh, puffed up about something that we did, we accomplished and then we think, oh, I don't need anyone else and I did this by myself, then that may not be the best thing for our devotional practices And bringing us closer to Krishna. So, Krishna may not give us that success. Whereas, if we have failure in that same way, we might be like, oh, Krishna, what did I do wrong? Or, you know, how can I improve? You know, or the failure itself can be so challenging that it makes us surrender even more to Krishna. And then at the same time, if we have something that we've done and it's very successful, and we have the mindset that this is all Krishna's anyway, that. Even though this was great, you know, this program turned out so successful, it was all Krishna's mercy. It was not really me. I was just doing my duty. And we're that same kind of response to if it's a failure. Well, I was doing my duty. I'll learn what I can do better next time. That's that equanimity, the steadfast that we talked about in the beginning. So it's all interrelated as we are deepening our relationship to, with Krishna and Progressing on our path of spiritual enlightenment, of self-realization. And then in 934, Krishna says, Engage your mind in always in thinking of me, become my devotee, offer obeisances to me, and worship me, being completely absorbed in me, surely you will come to me. So from this we conclude that when even outside of our times of Japa, right? So Japa, our mantra meditation session is specifically dedicated to thinking about Krishna to delve uh, deepening our relationship with him and concentrating upon him but we can also think of him throughout the day you know as we're driving we can listen to a lecture or listen to kirtan or even just think about Krishna you know his pastimes what, what is he doing just thinking about him throughout our day you know if we have time just have kirtan playing, meditating on Krishna in different ways. We can even chant the Maha Mantra. It doesn't have to be chanted on beads, sitting down. We can just chant them, you know. And I find it's related. The more I have good, concentrated japa, the more I think about Krishna throughout the day. And he pervades my day. And if I, for some reason, like wake up late or your mind plays tricks on you and you think, oh, I'll just chant later, I'm less likely to think about Krishna. Now I'm thinking about myself, like, oh, you know. That's when I'll have a little bit more thoughts of, like, what am I doing? Am I doing anything right? My fears and insecurities come out more, um, my self doubt comes out a lot more. So it becomes harder to even do. The things that I know that I I want to do to serve Krishna and serve his message, spread his message. When I start to, when I don't have that, um, I guess prepping of my day, priming of my day with meditation of Krishna. So I'll end there and see if there are any questions. Yes. Thank you. I'm just going to repeat for the sake of the people listening. Um, So um, Dharma made a comment about uh, chanting Japa. You know, he's saying that we often think of, I have to chant my rounds, Um, you know, got to get my rounds done. But it's not really about the rounds or the beads. It's about chanting the holy name and hearing and listening to the holy name and really um, relishing the hearing of the holy name. And 100%, you know, our mindset, and he also made the point of our mindset and our mood of chanting can make a big difference in how we hear and receive the name. I, you know, I obviously, as people that chant Japa, we all agree with this, I agree with this. And some of the things that I, I look at is instead of I have to chant my rounds, you know, I should chant my rounds. These are, again, those words that trigger our minds to think, oh, this is a chore. This is something, I, you know. But I get to chant my rounds or I get to chant the ho- holy name. I want to chant the holy name. I'm excited to chant the holy name. If we start our round, our japa session with those kinds of thoughts, you know, even at first, if we're not believing it, if we say it, I get to chant my rounds. I um, want to chant my rounds. I'm excited to chant my rounds. Then it becomes different. And... You know, 100%, like you were saying, it's not chanting rounds. It's chanting the holy name. But even deeper than that, it's not just chanting the holy name. It's spending time with Krishna. So if, you know, we have a a, a meeting to spend time with each other, right? To We're going to meet for lunch or something, and I'm like, oh, I have to meet Dharma for lunch. How does that make you feel? Like, why are you even here? Why are we even having lunch together? But like, oh wow, I get to have lunch with Dharma. Completely different mood. It's the same thing when we think about chanting our rounds. We're like, oh, I have to chant my rounds. Krishna's like, why are you spending time with me then? If we're like, I want to chant my rounds, I want to spend time with Krishna, and we're realizing that when we're chanting japa, when we're chanting our rounds, it's actually spending time with Krishna. Like he's sitting right there in front of us. As if, as, you know, you are sitting in front of me and we're, and you're having a conversation with him. This conversation is Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama Rama, Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So it becomes that much more intimate and loving and involved if you, if we meditate like that, like Krishna is actually in front of us. You know, in the beginning of a class, I said that Dev had the benefit and, blessing to be in front of Krishna well we do too with the holy name you know we have the benefit of blessing and being in front of Krishna with the deities with Radha Kalachanji it's just a matter of realizing it so you know Krishna is always there with us whether it's in our heart it's chanting our japa it's in front of the deities we just have to recognize that we have to see him there. And, you know, we use things like the beads to count off, you know, chanting a certain amount of times because we're not actually habituated in thinking about Krishna with love. So we have to come up with ways that we can do it, you know, so we have this mechanical way. But really, the point of japa isn't to get the number of beads done, it's not to get, um, a number of rounds done. It's to foster within us love for Krishna and to, for us to recognize our original relationship with Krishna and to uncover that and deepen it. So when we think of it that way, it becomes so much sweeter and it becomes something that we, um, is no longer a chore for us. It's something that we look forward to and relish. So, you know, we do things like that, like the, the beads, in our hands, it engages our sense of touch, you know. I've often noticed also that the beads, especially if they're made of um, tulsi, they have a certain scent to them, right, or we can also light incense. One of the things is, you know, we have the um, essential oil sticks that we use when we bathe the deities and whenever right. I use them, I throw them in my bead bag. So, now when I chant, like, I smell the oils that were used on the deities. So again, they engage my sense of smell. You know, we can have a nice picture of Krishna in front of us and engage our sense of vision. You know, we're listening, we're speaking, we're engaging our tongue, we're engaging our sense of hearing. So we're trying to engage all of our senses in in this meditation on Krishna so that it becomes second nature, you know, that Now, like, if I smell jasmine flowers, I immediately think of Krishna because it's like I smell those flowers dressing Krishna, Kalachanji, Radha Govinda. So you make these associations. You know, when you smell incense, then you think of chanting japa, you think of Krishna. You know, when you see the beads, you think of Krishna. So these are cues that we give our minds because that's how we have to trick our minds, basically, with the material coverings. Thank you for that comment. Any other questions or comments? All right. This microphone keeps falling.